Our scripture reading this morning is Daniel 11, verses 22 to 35. Armies shall be utterly swept away before the despicable person and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plot shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land." At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For the ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and he shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temples and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. When they stumble, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. This is God's word. So before we get going, what I want to do is to explain to you how you can get a copy of both the material from last week and some of the material from this week that is more detailed than I can tell you about. So what you see on the screen, oh look, there's Cricket, uh, is the First of Ann website. And if you were to go to the website and take your mouse and hover over the thing that says media, then a menu will drop down. And that menu gives you some different options and you'll notice there's one that says resources. And so if you'll click on resources, it will take you to this page where there's a whole bunch of things particularly uh, relevant to this Daniel series that we've been doing. And if you'll click on this one that says 60 puzzle pieces, then it will show you this document and it's a PDF, so you can print it or do whatever you want with it. But it gives you the scripture and then what are the historical events and then the next verse and what are the historical events like what we did last week, but it will also do the same for the material that we're going to do this week and in three weeks. So if, for those of you who are, want to go dig deeper, 
that's something you can do that will help you in that regard. All right, we're ready to jump into Daniel uh, chapter 11, verses 21 through 35, Despicable, part one. Part one, because there's more here than I'm going to be able to cover in the 30 minutes or so that we're going to be sharing together, next 30 minutes. So we're going to have part one, and unfortunately, I'm going to leave you hanging somewhat because part two is going to answer that, and that won't happen until the week after Resurrection Sunday. So in three weeks, you'll get to uh, get the answers to some of the things that hopefully you'll be saying, well, what about? All right, here we go. One week from Friday, we will remember what happened in the final hours before Jesus died on the cross. There is one moment from this day that I want to focus in on, and I call it day. A Jewish day begins at 6 p.m., so a Jewish day begins with darkness that moves to light. And in this day, there's some things I want you to understand that are going to be very helpful to understand the nature of prophecy, including the chapter and verses that we're going to look at in Daniel. Here's Matthew 26, 30 through 35. It says, After singing a hymn, this is after their Seder, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Today, truly, I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Now, here on the Mount of Olives, before a time of intense prayer, Jesus is going to go into prayer in which he is going to actually sweat drops of blood. It is so acute. But before that, he makes four very clear predictions. This is, this is prophecy he's giving. Now, it's short-term prophecy, but it's nonetheless a, here is what is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Number one, you will all fall away before daylight. Before the sun comes up on this day, you will all flee into the night. Zechariah 13.7 will be fulfilled. That passage, which was written 400 years before, is going to be fulfilled. That says, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Number three, I will be resurrected. That's going to happen about three days from when Jesus is talking. And then he says, I will go to Galilee in order to meet you. And that's something that happened about two weeks, maybe three weeks later. So here's these four predictions that Jesus has given. Now, Peter, <laughs> he heard, heard this, and he felt that Jesus had mispredicted something. And he raised an objection to prediction number one. No, 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 Jesus. I will never fall away. So Jesus issued a fifth prophecy, and this one actually includes an audio timestamp. Uh, before a rooster crows, that's the audio, Peter will deny Jesus three times. Now, we live out in the country. Uh, one of our neighbors has five roosters. 
who are all competing. So I'm very familiar with this audio timestamp. And I sometimes think of Peter when I hear these roosters crowing. He heard this one, and all of a sudden it was very different. The Lord has the ability to see into the future with perfect 2020 foresight. And this includes the ability to see what effect these future events are going to have on us. Jesus actually looked into Peter's heart and he accurately discerned his vulnerability to a coming test. He looked at Peter and he saw something that Peter didn't see. Here's what happened about six or eight hours later. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. By the way, there's a passage in Luke that adds one more detail. Luke 22:61. it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. In other words, Peter was in the courtyard area where Jesus was being abused tortured but in the moment when the rooster crowed Peter's eyes met Jesus' eyes and exactly as predicted Peter discovered in himself what prior to this moment only Jesus had seen and in that sad moment of self-revelation Jesus locked eyes with him <laughs> I can't imagine what that was like. But I fully understand what happened next. Peter left and wept bitterly. Jesus gave Peter a clear glimpse of the near future. This is, Peter, this is what's going to happen six or eight hours from now. And he predicted how Peter would respond to these events. In, in doing that, Jesus demonstrated that he, he knows the future, but he also knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. Jesus knows you better than you know you. He knows what is coming. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And he knows how you will react to what's coming. Now, there's one more insight about Jesus and prophecy that I, I want us to grasp because basically we're getting a lesson in how prophecy works from this account. And there's one more thing I want to show you. This is based on the parallel account in Luke. Luke also records this interchange in which Peter said, no, no, I'm, I'm prepared to die for you. And in uh, verse 31, 32 of Luke, uh, he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then we have the account of the other things. You know, he said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go to prison and to death. And he says, Peter, before the rooster crows. But did you catch what happened first? 
Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now here are two mind-boggling revelations that come from what has just been revealed to us. Number one, while it is true that Jesus sees what Peter does not see about himself, Jesus also sees the hand of the enemy, Satan. Peter, you're going to deny me. But I'm very conscious of the fact that Satan has a plan that he is working. He intends to move the pieces in such a way, Peter, that you and the other disciples are sifted like wheat. And he says, you know, he's demanded permission to sift you. And the you there is plural meaning to sift you, and at this point, the other ten, because Judas has gone to betray him. Satan has got a plan, and he wants to sift all of you like wheat. That's a part of what's going on here, and Jesus sees this. Now, to sift like wheat, the closest thing I can think of is shake you up. Uh, Basically, he wants to mess with you, Bottom line, there is more going on here. Your true adversary is attempting to lay a trap and rattle your faith. That's a part of what's happening here. What you will face is not a random sequence of events, but a well-conceived plan hatched by your true adversary. Yikes. But there is hope. And here's Revelation number 2, the second insight. Jesus is praying for Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and he sees what Peter doesn't even see in himself. He sees what's coming. He sees how Peter is going to respond. He sees how Satan is working to promote the harm of Peter and the apostles. But Jesus is praying accordingly. Peter doesn't even know what's coming. But Jesus has been praying for him. And Jesus tells us what his three prayer requests or objectives are. He says, here's what I've been praying for you, Peter. You you are going to, before the rooster crows, this is happening. But here's what I've been praying for for you, because I recognize the enemy's afoot. One, that your faith may not fail. Now, he's going to fall, but he's not going to fail. Second is that you will turn again. I mean, Peter ran into the night. Jesus says, you're going to make a U-turn. You were running away from me, and that's what he did. But you're going to run toward me. And number three, you're going to strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus says, and the word so that in the Luke passage is this word henna, which means here's the purpose, here's the goal, here's the objective. I am praying so that these three things will happen and Satan's ultimate goal will be foiled. It's not going to work. Yes, you will fall, but your faith won't fail. Yes, you will run, but you will turn again. 
Yes, you will abandon your brothers, but you will become a source of strength for them. This will all happen despite Satan's plan because I am praying for you. Now in this, Jesus has actually spelled out for Peter three things that he needs to do to respond to the crisis. Keep trusting Jesus. Stop running away and run toward. Be a strength to your brothers. You want to know how to recover from what you're dealing with? One, two, three. And Jesus is praying for precisely that. Now, I, I read that, and it's easy to think, oh, man, wouldn't that be great to have Jesus praying for us like that? I would love that. I have some incredibly good news. He is. Jesus knows your future. He, he knows how you will be tested in what is coming tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And he is even now interceding for you at the right hand of God in the knowledge of what is yet in your future and what is in you. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus, he who's died, yes, rather who was raised, listen to this, who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Here is Father on the throne and here is Jesus and he is interceding on your behalf and on mine. And he's interceding on the basis of what he sees, he knows what tomorrow holds and what this week holds and what this month holds. He knows what I don't have a clue about. And he's interceding for me. Uh, in Hebrews 7.25, it says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's alive. He's at the throne, standing and talking to Father, telling him here's what Jim needs here's what you need the Lord perfectly predicted five future events in his interchange but his prophecy actually reveals much more than that he reveals trials that are coming you, know, you are going to faith face a faith test, Peter. You're going to face trials that will reveal things about you that you're not aware of. You're going to, his prophecy reveals trials that may be Satan's attempt to mess with your faith. Jesus sees and reveals trials that threaten our faith. Trials that could keep us from moving in the right direction and trials that could push us into isolation from those who need us. That's what he sees. Okay, Jim, uh, that's helpful. How does that relate to Daniel 11, okay? Well, last week we looked at chapter 11, verses 1 through 21, and we saw 60 points of correspondence between what it said and actual historical events. If you download that PDF file, you'll be able to review that and see them all. That's the, coach, that's the section that says, trust the coach. Who gets 60 future predictions spanning 360 years right? God does. You can trust him. 
When he tells you this is what's coming, you can trust him. But interestingly, in all of that content, there was nothing said that gave us guidance into how to respond to those things other than knowing that they're coming. But very interestingly, the passage that we're looking at briefly this morning and in more depth in three weeks adds, here's what to do about it. Here's how people blow it. Here's how people get it right. Here's the strategy of this despicable person. Last week, it says, trust the coach. This week, here's what you're going to deal with, and here's how you can flourish, or here's how you will fail. Uh, this week, we're looking at verses 21 through 35, which is about a profound faith test that Israel faced it's another shake-up. Remember when Satan demanded permission to sift Peter and the other ten like wheat? Amos 9.9 says, For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. Amos is describing what happened to the, the northern ten tribes at the hands of Assyria, He's also describing what happened to Judah at the hands of Babylon, and he's describing what happens to Israel among the nations. He's actually describing this period that is being described in Daniel 11. You're going to be shaken up. So I want to know, okay, when you're facing a shakeup, how do you transit that? Well, what do you do? Last week it was all about history, and we read Scripture and compared it to historical events. We found 60 intersections between where the verses recorded, here's what happened and what actually happened. But there were no application points. Nowhere did it give us any substantive insight into how to well respond to these events. But the Lord, through his angel, through Daniel, has provided a very precise checklist of some verifiable future events that occurred during the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. And when God tells us what is going to happen, he knows what he's talking about perfectly, so trust him absolutely, because you're now going to get another checklist. There are going to be, it's actually more than 30 different correspondences between the passage that was read and history. But you're also going to get another layer of content in addition to providing the checklist of future events this passage adds a second layer of content. It tells us how Antiochus does what is predicted. It tells us what strategies he uses and how will some people do well and how will some others do poorly. Uh, think of this as almost watching a, a game highlights video and the commentator, you know, they've, they've frozen the scene and the commentator uses, I don't know what kind of, how they do this, but he uses some kind of pen and he draws a circle and says, watch this running back and how he moves. This is what's going to happen. Then they play the tape and you actually see it. Well, this chapter is going to give us where did they go wrong? Where did they go right? in dealing with a despicable person in the form of Antiochus Epiphanes. And if you're a player, you want to watch that. You want to watch the tape and see, where could I have done better? 
what could I have done? This is precisely what the Lord intends for Daniel 11. He wants us to watch and learn. A despicable leader is going to employ certain strategies to trip up God's people. And here's how some of God's people are going to blow it. And here's how some are going to get it right. From Daniel 11, 21 through 35, Israel could take maximum advantage of what the Lord wants to tell us about the future. They can anticipate trials. Here's what's coming, which is very cool of God to give them. You know, here's Daniel, 360 years in the future. Here's something you're going to face, and here's how you can get it right. Here's the kind of trials you're going to face. These trials are going to reveal some things about you that you didn't know. You're going to discern how our adversary wants to take advantage of you and shake up your faith. But with God's help, you're going to develop a faith that doesn't fail. With God's help, you're going to keep moving in the right direction. With God's help, you're going to energize those around you to do likewise. And that's exactly what happens in this section. So let me give you a very brief historical overview. Again, you can get the printout and see more detail. But... Verses 21 through 35 zero in on 11 years that was the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. And in verses 21 through 24, it's the rise of Antiochus. He's a despicable schemer from the start. Even how he became king was something that was kind of a maneuver he pulled off. Then we talk about his first campaign in verses 25 through 28. And basically, here's Antiochus in Syria and he attacks Egypt, and by so doing, secures Palestine. So now Israel is under this guy. Then his second campaign is in verses 29 and 30, in which he tries to make further inroads into Egypt, but does not succeed, no joy. And then, because he's frustrated, because of the intervention of some people that thwarted him in trying to take over Egypt, he comes back and he's decided, I'm going to make Israel my target. And he's going to take it out on them. So in verses 31 through 35, he decides, I'm going to introduce a new religion. And on pain of death, you can hold on to the old one, but we're going to worship me. And it is not a happy time. In this account, you're going to find, and I encourage you to read it and try and identify ways in which people did the right thing, ways in which people did the wrong thing. And in three weeks, you can compare notes with what I'll share with you. Now, someone could say, Jim, <laughs> why are you giving so much attention to this? I mean, this is all stuff that happened in the second century BC. It's all in the rearview mirror. It's all behind us. Why do I need to study how they blew it and how they got it right in dealing with this guy? Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll watch the highlights reel, but okay, get ready. According to Jesus, Antiochus Epiphanes was not a one-off. In Daniel 11.31, here's one of the things we read about Antiochus Epiphanes. It says, and they will set up the abomination of desolation as a part of his uh, destroy the worship of the one true God. This is one thing he does. And here's what Jesus said on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives, he's looking at Jerusalem. 
And he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Jesus, the perfect prophet, is predicting that another round is coming. What Israel encountered during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes was a preview of something that is yet future. We need to figure out how they got it right and where they blew it. We need to understand his strategies and the ways he is going to try and wipe out people of faith. Because round two is coming, which, by the way, is described in verses 36 and following of Daniel 11. So we need to glean everything we can from the highlight reel because Antiochus Epiphanes is a forerunner of someone else yet future. We need to look at every detail, figure out how did Israel get it right, how did they blow it, knowing that we could be facing something very similar. Now, in Peter's case, Jesus actually gave him advanced information. He said, here's my prayer request. But he basically said, here are the three, three things that you need to do to recover from this. Number one, don't stop believing in me. Because his faith fell. In the resurrection appearances, check in the box. Peter believed. Run toward me, not away. And I think a great example of this is when Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee, post-resurrection appearance, and Peter's out fishing. John says, hey, <laughs> I think that's Jesus on the shore. Instantly, Peter dives into the water. He is running toward Jesus, not away. Number three, Jesus said, help your brothers, your partners, your faith partners grow in him. And on the day of Pentecost, man, did that happen. Peter did all three of those. And he prevailed in round two. What's round two? The rest of his life. Here's what Jesus said to him when he came to the shore. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Do you realize that what Peter said that provoked the rooster prediction was actually true? I am prepared to die for you. Peter did. He just didn't understand the nature of the faith test. But Peter got it right, eventually, because he followed the counsel of the Lord. He hung on to his faith. He made a U-turn. You know, I sometimes have talked with people who have talked about, you know, I've been kind of away from the church, away from God, and I thought, well, I don't know if I need to go back. He came back. He ran out from the courtyard, but he came back. 
and he strengthened the brothers. Jesus, along with Daniel, has revealed everything you need to know in advance about a trial that is coming that is no less significant than what Peter faced. He is praying for you even now in light of what he knows you will face tomorrow. And he is before the Father and he's praying. So trust him. Depend on him. Master what his word says in the passage we're going to look at more closely in three weeks. Because it is what will make a difference in your ability to successfully face a trial that is no less acute than what Peter faced. Let's pray. Father, my plea is for this people, for me. To be a people who take advantage of what you've told us. You, you tell us, behold, I've told you everything in advance. You've given us insight into what is coming so that we can, like Peter, hang on to our faith, make a U-turn and keep running toward you and strengthen one another. Father, I'm pleading that you would help us as your people to understand and to get ready for what is coming. Father, when we come together in three weeks, I pray that your spirit would move among us and teach us the ways we can get this right because it matters. We pray this in Jesus' name.